0: Award-winning actor, writer, producer, director, known to many as Penelope Garcia and Criminal Minds. My guest today is the fantastic Kirsten Vangsness. The Eyes Have It podcast. New perspectives, personal stories and eyewear journeys. With your host, Jason Kirk. Hello. Really nice to have your company for this episode of the Eyes Have It podcast. I'm Jason Kirk, founder of Kirk and & Kirk, and this series gives me the chance to sit down and chat to some amazing people who I'm also fortunate to call my friends. We talk about their lives, their careers, what drives them, what scares them, and of course, their love of eyewear. Joining me now from Los Angeles is Kirsten Vang's Nest. Kirsten, hello.
1: Hello, Jason. What a gigantic pleasure to be here. It's so exciting because I love you and I love the country in which you live in and are from and... I'm here. I love my country too, and where I'm from. But it's very exciting that I get to be here and there at the same time.
0: Kirsten, thank you so much for joining us. You got up super early to do this. Thank you.
1: I didn't. It's eight o'clock. I don't. I mean, it's civilized. It's a civilized time to be dressed and up and doing a formal thing. But I was kind of already here. But it's my pleasure.
0: What is the first item of clothing that you put on in the morning?
1: I want to be like Marilyn Monroe and be like perfume. Um, uh, my, my glasses, (laughs) because it would not go well if I didn't put on my glasses. And then the second item of clothing, see, it's funny. I usually, cause I sleep usually with my Fitbit on because I feel like it's my little litmus test every once in a while. It'll say, you didn't sleep good. So you shouldn't exercise, which I feel like is a big win, Uh, but very rarely does it happen. So I take my Fitbit off first that's I take off clothes and that's the only thing I'm wearing. Everyone's learning so much about me. I put clothes on, and so I put on my glasses. I take off my Fitbit. I'm still not wearing clothes. And then what is the first thing I put on? It depends upon who's here. I uh, half of the week my partner's daughter is here, so she's here. The first thing I put on is a nightgown because I will have been. I don't. I think. I by the way, if in, people are listening to this and you learn anything aside from glasses from this. Don't sleep with clothes on. At first you're gonna be a little nervous and feel like it's I don't think it's healthy. I think the whole body needs to like move around. So first I put on a nightgown. Eva's here, I put on a nightgown and and uh and and help her get ready for school. If she's not here, I put on workout clothes. That was the longest answer you've ever gotten, I'm sure. But that's what I do.
0: Just keep talking. It's fantastic. I get the feeling that we're not gonna discuss criminal minds at all. I think we've got plenty of other things to talk about.
1: Pack it in. It's okay. Yeah.
0: Well, you know, I want to I want to know more about you. I want to know more about the the shy little girl from California that blossomed. and And how did you transform? How did you, How did you go from that shy little girl to being on the
1: stage? Uh, there's a Madeleine Lingle quote, which I love, and she wrote A Wrinkle in Time and a bunch of other things. Um, and the quote is, might be paraphrasing: "We are every age we've ever been, or you are every age you've ever been." So I I I think the way you do anything is that you sort of carry along all those parts and just sort of take them along because all those parts really want to not be, well, at least mine. I think I have the advantage, you know, you hear people be like, oh, I wish I could be a child again. Oh, the freedom. I'm like, you couldn't pay me enough. I will n- no thank you. Nope. Get me out of that space of that, all of it. so. I, it could have been just the propulsion of wanting to move into a different, you know space. I'm always fascinated with everybody by where you are versus where you want to be, where you are versus where it's going. I think that's a philosophical way of looking at the world because I don't believe that there is such a thing as, which does go into the criminal minds thing. I think that that's how I've based that whole character on um there's no such thing as evil people. There's no such thing as evil. There are horrific choices. And, you know, yes, there are people who make a collection of horrific choices. We had a whole president for multiple years here just making a series of horrific choices. But it's one thing to, like, reprimand. So that behavior, so my behavior, I was always like, my what I'm doing isn't what I want, but I don't know how to be that. So it was just, like, practicing of, like, kind of note that I still I'm still shy. I mean, I know I just talked for 45 minutes straight. Yet we've only been doing this podcast for seven minutes and I have the ability to talk longer than time allows. I'm not even bound by time. My mouth just keeps moving. But it is a learned behavior. I think that my things that hold me back, which is one of my big lessons, I think like we all have like the same four lessons where like keep learning all the time. The things that hold me back are things I always got have to lean into because that's where like the good stuff is. So I had a horrible list growing up, barely understand me. And I had dyslexia. I mean, I still have dyslexia. So I was in speech therapy. I would get pulled out of class and because they couldn't, you know, so I was like couldn't read, couldn't really make my mouth do what it was supposed to and sound right. So I would go in and, and the teacher liked me. The teachers, the aides liked listening to me talk. So instead of having me read, you know, whatever, they'd take turns and say, well, one of us take Kirsten outside and Kirsten just talk," And I would talk and then they would correct me when my mouth would go off. So it's like those little moments where you're like, oh, oh, I'm good at oh, you want to hear me. Okay. And then you kind of keep going and then you go too far, which I do all the time. I talk too much. I mean, I don't know if I answered your question at all, but I don't I don't know how. I feel like I'm the exact same person, just with other ages of herself in my age backpack that I kind of go, okay. You know what I mean? Like you get to be this future girl gets to stand here and then all these other girls get to watch that girl do this thing and learn from her
0: so how old were you when you gave your first public performance in whatever format that was
1: yeah because i think i had some near i had some near near hits think like fifth grade i was supposed to be mrs claus but then a girl in class started cry because she was so shocked couldn't i couldn't have possibly gotten mrs claus so i gave her the part um and i played some other side character and then there was another time where i was supposed to play like like one of the main characters, and I gave, I kept giving the parts away because the the more popular kids would get so angry that I was going to get it. And then I think it was seventh grade. I was in, um, I was in a, a musical. You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown, and I played the girl with the naturally curly hair. And I didn't. Oh, I'm lying. No, uh, first public department, My dad. Uh, it just hit me. I was like, no, I did stuff for it. my dad. Was sort of a, a he he had been wanting to be an opera singer and do his own. A lot of his own choices, his voice wasn't, you know, holding up and all of that. So he did what I don't know what they would call it in England, but in America we have like because our school system is so strange. uh, We have community college, which is like if you can't get into regular college, we have like this cheaper, smaller college to sort of trampoline you into regular college. But a lot of times people will just take classes there. So my dad would do theater at community college, and he would play the lead. So he would be like. There was a play called Bye Bye Birdie where there's a pop star named Birdie. My dad would be Birdie. And then my sister and I would have to audition because it was sort of like babysitting. And my sister, who is three and a half years older than me, in Bye Bye Birdie, this is an example, was playing like one of the teenage girls. And then me at like age nine is playing like the 70-year-old who's mad at the pop star, like because of my horrible posture. I did that a bunch of times where I was just sort of like, on the stage in the background and then got a part in seventh grade in a play and then loved acting, but like didn't think I was. And then when I was in high school, my mother like kind of forced me because I kind of stopped talking in eighth grade. I was just like, this is not working out for me. I'm, as you can tell, you're like, how could she have stopped talking? But I would kind of get myself, I would use my words to kind of solve problems. And then annoy people. And then um, and then I'd get like thrown in a trash can. I was like, I'm done. And we had moved and I was just, I was overwhelmed. Like my home life was overwhelming. School was over. I just couldn't. So I completely just was like, not going to speak. And then after eighth grade, you don't tend to do well in school when you don't talk. And my mom kind of forced, not mean forced, but she kind of put me in a position where I had to take drama. And our first assignment in class, we had to do without talking. We had to do it silently. And I got an A. I'd never gotten an A. I'd, it'd been a while, gotten a good grade. And uh, so, yeah, you didn't ask that second part, but I answered it.
0: You just Yeah, thank you. No, the, answer, the answers are all great. Did, did you feel exposed? Did you feel vulnerable going from the person who didn't really want to talk to actually being on the stage in front of people?
1: Yeah. I mean, I feel vulnerable all the time. I think that that's why, not all the time, But I'm very at home. I'm real good. I always kind of joke that, like, I'm really like I kind of walk around like, here's my shame and here's my vulnerability. Like, I just kind of carry them around, like in my breasts, probably. Like, I I don't know. I just kind of have them with me all the time. And so, I mean, I I get stage fright when I go to work when they call action, and even if there's a moment where I don't, because it's half of a page and I just have to say on it and press a button. The act of me being relaxed and going on it, I will then when they say cut, have a little bit of like ooh, I just like so i i I still have that kind of vulnerability, so yes i I think that that's part of the your nervous system gets used to it, you know, like every time I do a thing, I now know how I'm gonna feel, but it's not at least for me this idea that like, oh, if you are a performer or you put yourself out there. At a certain point, you might be braver just cuz you just know what your nervous system is going to do. So you can you can wrangle the horses a little easier than if you wouldn't.
0: Did you ever want to do anything else apart from be on the stage?
1: I wanted to be a DJ, but I feel like I get to do that. I mean, I I will I will make a playlist for anything, for anything. I want to I want to make I want to run the music anywhere. You know, I had that when I was 5, I had that um That whole thing where you're like, I want to be a veterinarian and a ballerina dancer and Wonder Woman. That was my plan when I was five, which is essentially being an actor uh, when you when you think about it. So, no, it didn't come up as an option. I used to say I wanted to be a photographer because I thought I could take pictures of beautiful people doing extraordinary things because I didn't think I had permission to do the thing I wanted to do. So it didn't occur to me, my Speaking of veterinarians, my partner is a veterinarian and just, and a musician. So you can be all kinds of things. They just walked, just walked down the stairs. So I just had to raise my hand. I think there's a lot of gatekeepers in the world that, I mean, society is a one big gatekeeper that tells you because everybody else has done it this way, you can't possibly do that. So it was not a job option. Like, and I don't think to be cruel, my mother made it very clear, you're not gonna make a living doing that. So even when I got into high school, and I it was the only thing I would get, you know, I would ace and I would get cast in plays. And then I got like I got a chunk of money from like a bank because I mean, it wasn't a lot. It was like a hundred bucks. But like they gave me money because like, you're a good actor. And I was like, you know, 15, even that happening. And then when I got into college and I would get teachers would, you know, I was one of those students where I would go to acting class and I would. Because I really care. You know, I really care about the craft deeply. And I would work on the thing and I would leave class and everybody would be like, oh, my God, we had to listen. Every class had to listen to what, how you did that. I got all that. It never went into my head like I can do this living. I was like, OK, well, what am I going to do to earn cat food so that I can eat so that I can be an actor? And even when I was doing all that, I, you get told it's one of those jobs. I got told by I had a fancy audition. At Paramount Studios, which, by the way, is like one of the bigger studios, which I live down the street from now. But I got told I I got this audition because they were like, she's so great. And I come from college and I'm still in school and I bring my stuff. And the woman says, what are you going to what are you going to do when you graduate? I'm going to be an actor. And she said, oh, you no, you you won't work. You're not you're not pretty enough to be a leading lady. She listed off all that. You're not thin enough. You're not fat enough to be a character actor. You're not old enough to be. I mean, if you're lucky, in 10 years, you might start booking a couple of roles, but I doubt it. I was like, oh, oh," but she kind of did me a favor because it was like, well, I know I'll be miserable if I don't keep making things. I just knew that I loved doing it. And I think that that's the tricky thing about professions and what you love is like, yeah, you hope that what you love to do, someone's going to pay you for, but that might not be it. But that doesn't mean you still shouldn't be figuring out a way to do it. And make enough money so that you have food
0: The Eyes Have It podcast is brought to you by award-winning eyewear designers Kirk & Kirk For more info find us on Instagram at Kirk & Kirk or visit our website kirkandkirk.com It's an incredible honour to be able to do something that you love isn't it I mean Karen and I every day we wake up and we're just like oh this is let's go and make some glasses let's go and talk to people about eyewear Yeah and the enthusiasm that, that you give us, like when we met, when we, when we've spoken over the years, the passion that you have for eyewear is incredible, and, and that's what makes it worthwhile.
1: And that's what I love. I love the fact that I love the fact that there is somebody else. To be like, I have no, I have no. Like for instance, I have passion to wear eyewear. I have no passion to make it. If you sat me down. You know, I'd be like, I'm a little bored. I don't. But it's so wonderful that that's why it's that's why I always like you should always follow your dream. Whatever it is, you should just follow it because it's actually giving you information that that's what you're supposed to be doing, because you wouldn't be having the feeling of wanting it if you didn't if you didn't have the right to have it. I I just I really, really believe that. And look, if you're like, my dream is to like, I don't know, eviscerate my grandmother, I would say, let's take away the proper nouns of that. And let's just say you have a passion for taxidermy or I don't know, like you have passion. Let's explore deeper things that are legal that you can do to get that out. And I mean, I I think that my glasses or glasses in general, I find them so incredibly valuable. Being a shy person and being someone who doesn't, it's like a little, it's like my own, like, to me, it's this weird mix of like hair over my face. No one can see me. And I got to pick what's on my face. And I've always been like this. And I mean, when I lived, I lived in this little teeny town in Porterville, which is in like the farm country of California. It's nothing is around. And I'd go to the glasses store and I remember I would I would pick out I would like my eyes would seek a where's the weird pair. And I wouldn't say that that's what I didn't have those words, but it was like, where's the pair? And I would find the one pair that was like, you know, had pink in it. Or I had a pair that literally looked like like you were wearing them upside down. Like, and people, I would go to school and everyone would be like, you picked those. But I was like, because I noticed that people look at them when you wear a certain, you know, and I spent such a long time looking for cool glasses. I couldn't find any. And then I got curl Mines and they were like, oh, yeah, leave those on. They were just a random pair of glasses I had. And then I remember once they realized they were keeping me on the show. The prop guy shows up in my trailer. They're like, the prop guy needs to have a meeting with you. And he comes in with this big thing of glasses. And I'm looking at them all. And they all have, there's like maybe two names of companies on them. And it was all like moving through my head really fast because I didn't understand the business of the job. But like, I made her up. I made up Garcia. Some stuff about me is stuff about other like a uh, uh, computer analyst that I read about. Um, stuff to people that I've dreamed of being like I'm and as the writers wrote about her, I kind of added that to what I was making up. But they didn't have a character for Garcia. So I was coming in and kind of being like what I was doing and the choices I was making and the way me and Shamar were interacting with each other was making them write more and do more. So when they came in with these glasses and were like, pick out from these, I was like, well, I need to these None of these are her glasses. Like, I, my brain was like, none of these are hers. And I felt like they were almost immediately trying to turn Garcia into a product of this show on CBS, which she is. She's a product of this show that's on TV. I made her up. And one of the things about her is she's like, she's for everybody. She's a collection of things. And I was like, I don't want any of these. Because I, my brain was like, don't pick them out because you're going to become a walk-in commercial. Like, people, if this show keeps going, people are going to see you with these glasses and be like, Where did I get that? Whatever. And I was like, I don't, I was like, I don't want any of these. And then, like, the next day, I went down to a place here in Los Angeles. This is before we knew each other. And I took my own money and bought cooler glasses than what they had there. And I bought like six pairs because I had a paycheck now. And this place called LAI Works that still exists. And I loved them because They gave a lot of money to really good charities here. Things that feed people that need food, uh, that support that it support people that are living with AIDS and other like life threatening illness. They were they give all this money and they had cool glasses. So I bought glasses and then I brought them there and then they were like, "Oh, these are way cooler, right?" So they were like, they didn't argue and then it turned into me just bringing in my own glasses and I happened to buy a pair of your glasses at that store and then you reached out to me it was like hey you're wearing purple glasses and i was like what and i was so excited i fangirled and then me and my girlfriend at the time we went to visit you and we had tea and i still think about it i'm like did that place even exist or did you make it up like did you do like a charlie and the chocolate factory move and make it up
0: we went to sketch and we had tea and purple eclairs and we had the best time and i was fanboy as well. It was great. It was so lovely. We had a great time, and that was the first time we met.
1: That was that was.
0: It must have been. It must have been about, mm, or probably about nearly fifteen years ago. I would say not far off that.
1: Yeah, it's right near the beginning of of the show, and then I really like. And those glasses that I wore, which are on a bunch of publicity photos and stuff like that, those particular ones, which are those green and like citron, like chartreusey ones. Everyone's like, where'd you get this? Where'd you get this? Where'd you get this? And then I was like, these are her glasses. So if you watch Criminal Minds, you will see, I'm, a, if if there is, I mean, I wear a bunch of different kinds of glasses, but all of those glasses, I have a suitcase downstairs right now with all those glasses and a laminated book with a picture of them and a description on the glass case of what they are. So every single pair of glasses that Garcia wears, I pick out. Like, I would put on her outfit and I'd be like, glasses she wearing? But the, one I have the, the pairs I have the most of are Kirk and Kirk. So you will see a lot of your glasses on that show. Thank you.
0: <laughs> let me do, and I always find it really interesting when we talk to each other as well, how you distinguish between your glasses and Garcia's glasses.
1: These pair I'm wearing right now are, might be the only outlier because I, 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 well, no, that's a lie. I let her borrow my glasses. Very rarely does she let me borrow her glasses, but I let her borrow my glasses. And they're just different glasses the The requirements of Garcia's glasses are different than what I, I like glasses that, uh, um yeah, she just has different requirements. Like, they're a little more like, look at me. And I don't always wear the look at me glasses. And now, especially, I mean, if I walk out the door with these on right now, I am, I am a Criminal Minds advertisement and a Kirk and Kirk advertisement. Like, I am like, here I am. But if I wear my, like, plain black rimmed glasses that I always wear. It just looks like a woman in glasses, but it doesn't really. I mean, before I met my beloved, I did and it was harrowing. Yes, but I did it. I was online dating and uh, I had not my name. I didn't use my name. I did not say what I did for a living. And I just did that. And nobody knew who I was. Like I can get like, But this immediately, like, oh, you're that girl from. It's kind of amazing, which is one of the things I love about about glasses because they are they show up different things about you, and that's why they're so great for the more introverted people that want people to know about them. Is you're almost you're walking in and you're like, I'm telling you a bunch of information about me before you, if you want, if you choose for that to be there, you know, if like that's all about your glasses. Your glasses are like. They have light. They let light come through. It's like you're kind of wearing, like a, you know, those ring lights that make you look like you have those little circles in your eyes. But you're kind of wearing them here. And they're just, they're a little celebration on your face.
0: Kirsten, you're wearing, I should tell the listeners, because it's not going to be, we're not going to be showing you. So I should tell the listeners that you're wearing Jane in Apple and you're wearing it absolutely beautifully. Oh, well, thank you. What I love about all of your glasses choices, whether they're Kirk & Kirk or other brands, uh, they always reflect your personality so well. You're really, really good at that. Shining example. You talk about transmitting light. And I remember a conversation that you and I had when you talked about the generosity. You, you didn't use the word generosity, but I'm talking about your generosity in sharing the platform, the voice that you have for other people, for communities. You use that so well and so so generously. I think that's really, it's really amazing.
1: Oh. Okay. Thanks. And you know, I don't think it's honestly, honestly, I don't think it's, I believe, I really believe this. This is, I think this is just true. And if you don't believe what I'm about to say, then you should go think about it. Um, I think we are only as privileged as the least privileged among us. So it's very important. And maybe, and I've learned this in life, like there are people that don't want everybody to be having as an expanded experience as they are having. Now, yes, sometimes do I want to feel like I'm responsible for everybody's expanded experience? Yes, that's my problem. I will. I am I am that person who's like, you know, I want all of my friends like if I have a thing or I get to do anything. I want all my friends to be able to do the same thing. But then sometimes I'm also the person who's like, I'm the one who made this. Um, but like, so I, I do get off on it. So that would be a lie to just be like, no, it's no big deal. But I like being generous. I believe in abundance economy. I believe that There is enough. Um, The trick is, how do you how do we all, especially those of us who happen to be surrounded by a lot of abundance, how do we not get into starvation economy and think if that person has as much as me, does that take away from me? And it doesn't. Uh, So I'm always playing with that because I notice my own starvation economy come up, whether it be money or love or attention or whatever. I mean, it's one of my favorite things about the thing I get to do. Like, I love creating. I love I love transmitting the big questions, uh, whether it's be writing or or performing or, you know, being Garcia or whatever of those things. But also to be able to be a finger pointer to to things that people could know about or a way you could help. That is just fantastic. It's fantastic to be a, a, a finger pointer. It's amazing how many people who have differing views than me love the character I play. And uh, and so that is really fun to be able to challenge that. Many a time I will post a thing on my social media or something like that and I get a lot of like, I'm very disappointed in you. And it's like, well, you're on my virtual lawn, my friend. So sorry about it. But it, I like, I enjoy that. It's one of the great perks is to be able to like move your finger and your finger has like a little light on it. And you get to be like, look at that cause, look at that thing, look at that. I I, I enjoy that a lot. So it's, it's great to be letting people know about those things or doing that. But it's also really fun to do. So I highly encourage people to do that and be generous because I think it um, provides a lot of personal momentum or something.
0: It's very refreshing. And. A great example, there's so much we could talk about. I could listen to you for hours and hours and hours. I've got a million questions and you're you you you're so eloquent and it's lovely to hear you talk. But there's one thing I really want to talk about, which is Kirsten's agenda, which I absolutely love. And you did so many things in that broadcast that allow people to, to relate to you. you. AMA, ask me anything. And I can remember some of the questions. I remember listening to those questions when I was, and I was... Watching and watching, listening to those questions on the run-up to this as well, and going, they've asked all the questions I want to ask. But you would you would answer so openly and honestly. There was a question about being perfect. And it was very interesting. I don't know if you remember that question on 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 your program, but it was very interesting that you were talking about your teacher telling you that you weren't perfect. And you were answering that question in your AMA on on Kirsten's agenda, which you answered beautifully and you were kind of, it was almost as if that question was thrown at you without any preparation and you, it was just amazing. And there are so many examples like that, that you talk about the drama triangle, allowing people to, whether they're a hero or a victim or a villain and, and to move around that space and to understand what, how everybody else is moving around that space. It's lovely. And it's very, again, it's very, very generous.
1: Oh man, I, I think it's very, very generous, Jason, that you watched my show. That makes me really happy. I, I like, I, I, I love that. I love that. Thank you. And I, I, um, it's funny because the things I make, Kirsten's Agenda being one of them, which it, you can find on YouTube is, is like those things that I'm so, I oftentimes will feel like, cause I know like fancy producer people and stuff and I'll be like, I got this idea. And here's the idea. Okay. It's, it's a show where we talk about, it's all internal. All the internal struggles. And, you know, I'm in the middle of that sentence and they're already asleep in their soup. And so it's very exciting to know, like, oh, there actually are people out there who like that thing. And and that is very exciting to me. And honestly, like that drama triangle thing, there's all these things in the world that nobody talks about a lot. But like they're there. And that's like all my therapists. Like I was like, I don't know what to talk about on this show. And I would tell her and she was like, well what about? And I was like, oh, we could talk about that. I could talk about the drama triangle forever. Um, Just look up the drama triangle if you don't know what we're talking about. I'm reading a book right now. I've been reading it for a while called The Rise. I think it's called The Rise. It's about creativity. And I'm at the part in the book where they're essentially talking, I'm going to paraphrase a lot, of, but they're talking about there's a a dancer and he is a famous choreographer. And he shows this dance that he's been coming up with and it just gets panned like it's it the 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 critics just like hate it and they say that later on in life he does he does a different dance everybody loves it it's like oh it's the talk and he, a lot of the things that he did in this in this one dance that everybody said was terrible is in this they're talking about the gap between proficiency and artistry where like you're seeing what you want to be doing but you don't necessarily have what it takes yet to be doing that you know and that what you actually have to do is put it out there let it be criticized but kind of ignore that criticism you have to put things out there in order to know that you're making it but then you're also allowing people to observe it and to talk about it you know and Kirsten's agenda is like this weird thing where like I did it if you knew I was doing it you watched it but it feels like it's un like it's not like you'd have to go find it. It wasn't like on a, t- a network or something like that. So it it feels very good to get feedback about it because it is something that, you know, I'm doing something next week that I just made up called Bits and, and it's a thing of different people making different little things. The whole idea of it is like, put things out there, make something unfinished that you're scared about, do it because it's gonna get some feedback and then you're gonna be able to make it better. So I like to think that I'm going to do a third season of Kirsten Agenda in the future, and it's going to be even like more explosive, explode, brain bending.
0: Explosive is good. We like explosive. Thanks. Please do, please do a third series. It's compelling. You can find it on YouTube. Kirsten, it's been amazing talking to you. Your journey has been incredible. And what, what do you think 12-year-old Kirsten would make of Kirsten today?
1: Um. Well, that's that's an easy question to answer because I love like and I, I highly recommend everyone do this because they're in there anyway. Right. Your ages. I oftentimes I take her around. I mean, I take all of my, you know, parts around and I'll I do this. All, and I don't know, does everybody or if anybody, everybody else has the I have this capacity to be able to be like, you know, I'll be like making dinner. Right. And like I'm in my kitchen and I'm slicing a pepper, and sometimes I'll be like, whose knife is this? <laughs> it's my knife. Well, no. really? Yeah. <laughs> like, I'll be at a concert, and I'll be like, guess where we are? <laughs> or are Duran Duran. What? We are. Where are we sitting? Where we used to look at and wish we were sitting. What? Like, I have that thing. Like, I take her around, so I would say what she says most of the time, is she's very impressed with me, you know. Sometimes she's like, "Girl, mm-mm. like when I act too, like a like when I act too much like an adult, she she's not she's very unhappy." Uh, but I I sometimes think that we're like in a big circle, and so the oldest ones of us are actually the youngest because we're going on the circle, and then the youngest ones of us are actually the oldest. So I think of her in this very sort of like sage wise way that she's like she's the one I have to impress which is probably why I'm, I do run to my own drum because I'm much more interested in impressing her than I am in impressing, you know, the, the world at large. I'm much more interested in, like, does 8th grade Kirsten think I'm cool? Because that, that is important. So um, I think she thinks I'm doing pretty good most of the time.
0: And rightly so. Kirsten Vang's Ness, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. Thank you so much for making the time to talk to us. And I look forward to seeing you really, really soon.
1: Yes and and thank you for um uh, tolerating my highly caffeinated state. <laughs> I think i started I think the beginning of this podcast are going to people are always going to wow like what is it's not cocaine.
0: It's lovely but you, you're really really um again generous like talking to us about about yourself really like opening up and it was lovely. It was really really nice. Thank you for that. Thank you. Wasn't she brilliant? I really hope you enjoyed this. You can follow us on social media at Kirk and Kirk. Get in touch via our website, kirkandkirk.com or drop us an email at info at And don't forget to follow this podcast too so you'll get notified of all future episodes. Thank you, Kirsten Wangsness, for joining us all the way from LA. For now, from me, Jason Kirk and the Eyes Have It podcast, it's goodbye.